Happy Lord's Day. It is good to be face-to-face before the Lord together in worship this morning. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we will be covering the first 11 verses there. Uh, if you remember, we have been walking through 1 Thessalonians for a little while together now, and Paul has sort of structured the whole book around faith, love, and hope Indeed, he spends the first three chapters or so encouraging the Thessalonians about their faith in Christ. They are those who have received the word of God as it really is, the word of God. They believed it by the power of the Spirit at work in them. He wants them to know that they really are Christians, that his work among them was not in vain. He's also encouraged them to continue loving one another. Loving God's church, loving the people of God. We, we see that in part in verse 4. He says, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Then towards the back end of chapter 4, where we were together last time, Paul brings up the idea of hope, which he anticipated as he was transitioning into chapter 4, but he wants us to hope in Christ. So you can sort of see the letter's paradigm, faith, love, hope. Now at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul gives us a word about what he is after. He, he wants us to walk in the Lord Jesus to please God. And he then outlines some specific ways that he wants us to please God. We talked about sexual holiness. We talked about holiness and our love for one another, holiness in work, and holiness and hoping for the future. We've done holiness and looking to the future, holiness and looking to and hoping in Christ's return, and sort of two parts. Uh, the section from verse 13 of chapter 4 actually runs all the way to verse 11 of chapter 5 where Paul is discussing the day of the Lord and enumerating some of those details for us. We broke it into two parts, and so last time we talked about what it looks like to grieve with hope, and this time we're going to talk about what it looks like to wait with hope. And to help us work through the passage this morning, uh, we're going to have four words, and they are going to be alliterated to help us remember. Paul gives the Thessalonians four reasons they can be comforted by and encouraged by the day of the Lord when Christ returns. He talks about destruction, designation, dress, and destiny. Destruction, designation, dress, and destiny. Those are the words we're going to hang the ideas of the text on this morning. And with that said, would you stand in honor of reading God's holy and perfect word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all sons of light, 
sons of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or are asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. May he carve its eternal truths on our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the gift of salvation. We thank you that because of your grace, we have turned to you from idols. That now we wait for your son to return from heaven, to deliver us from the wrath to come, to make all things new, and to wipe every tear from the eye. This morning, Lord, we ask that you comfort us with your holy word that you comfort us with your Holy Spirit. You come to us and meet us in this place once more. We ask that you would help us to hear your word proclaimed, and I ask that you would help me to preach a better sermon than I have prepared. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Paul opens this letter with words, a little pattern that he's done a few times now in Thessalonians. He says, I have no need to write to you about this. And then he proceeds to write to the Thessalonians about the thing he said he didn't have any reason to write to them about. Why? Because we are encouraged by things that we already know when we are reminded of them. It is a good thing to be reminded about the promises of God. It can be a comforting thing to be reminded about those deep truths which are already embedded in your heart. I think most unfortunately, many of us suffer from the I already know that syndrome. We open up to a familiar passage on a Sunday morning, for example, and we've been good Christians for some time, and we think to ourselves, I already know that. I don't need to hear that. I've heard that passage preached before. And so we we check out and we begin thinking about all the other things we're going to do. Friends, when we take that approach, we are allowing our pride to strangle out the work of the Spirit in us. There is always more to learn from the Word of God. It is living and active, and God's Spirit has a way of teaching us, of enlightening the eyes of our hearts so that we can see new truths that we never saw before. We ought not come to familiar passages or familiar truths with a, I already know that, sort of pride, but with a humility, actually a a desire that wants to hear those truths again and again. It makes me think of the movie Casablanca. 
It's an old black and white one for those of you who are younger than me. And to be honest, I wouldn't have seen it except for, for some reason in college, a film appreciation class fulfilled some requirement, and so I took it, and I saw Casablanca. Now, there is a famous scene in this movie where the female lead, whose name is Isla, I got it right, I was going to call her Elsa, I just knew it, but, but, but Isla says to the pianist, Sam, as she is conjuring up memories of the past, play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. You know, he, he, he plays the song. and It's a really great scene. But as I was thinking about this, I thought we, we should be like Isla, longing to hear the word of God, those familiar words proclaimed to us again. We should long to tarry over the word of God with God as she sought to tarry over as time goes by. Friends, we should repent of that, I already know that, reflex and say something like, play it again, Paul. And the truth that Paul is playing again in our passage this morning is all about the day of the Lord. And he's telling them he, he doesn't have need to write to them about Christ's return on that day because they know he's coming. He's already taught them about this and because they know this day will be a secret. That the Lord's return is unknown to everyone save for the Father. It is a secret time when the Lord will return. I think we all understand the point of Paul's illustration here. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It would be a pretty poor thief who, who called you up. You know, your phone rings and it see, says like scam likely at the top. And for whatever reason, you pick up the phone. Yes, hello. Hi, uh, Mrs. Smith. Yes, yes, that's me. Can I help you? Yeah, th this is uh, Burglar McBurglyface. And I am planning on robbing you at 2.45 in the morning on December 21st. I just wanted to let you know. It is a poor thief who announces his thievery. A thief who lets his plans to steal be known is not going to make it very long in the thieving industry. Unless, of course, he works for the IRS. IRS aside... It's not a good strategy as a thief to let your plans be known. And that's, that's Paul's point here. No one knows when the day of the Lord is coming. The coming of the Lord is secret. It's also, Paul writes, going to be surprising. You see there in verse 3, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. People will be saying everything is good, our borders are secure, there's peace, there's prosperity, everything is awesome. And then, to their surprise, Christ will return to judge all evil and all those opposed to him. Indeed, the day of the Lord will be secret, it will be surprising, and it will be sudden. 
Sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. The imagery of labor pains is meant to show us the the suddenness of Christ's return as well as the certainty of it. It really is interesting because those who do not know God, those who are walking in darkness, who are sons and daughters of the night, really are clueless that Christ is returning at all. And so it's almost like being pregnant without knowing it and then having labor pains. I thought maybe Paul should have used maybe appendicitis as an illustration instead. I hear it's far more painful than childbirth. (laughs) Paul uses the imagery of a woman in labor to let us know that Christ's return is going to come suddenly and certainly. And when you are in labor, so I hear, uh, you can't escape it. Ask Chelsea about this a little bit. You know, we've had uh, seven pregnancies now, and she's gone through this event a number of times. I was like, is it really all that sudden? You know, you get pregnant, you know there's nine months, and so you, you have a ballpark figure. And, and she was kind enough to remind me uh, that I'm an idiot uh, and that it happens very suddenly. You don't, you don't really know. Like, you know, she, you nest and stuff. You sort of get your go bag for the hospital ready. But you don't know the precise moment that, that baby is coming. And she reminded me of some of our experiences. Remember the first one, uh, middle of the night, 2.30 in the morning, she says, uh, my water broke, it's time. And I rolled over in my bed and I said, you just had an accident, go back to sleep. Sudden! Or another time we weren't sure if she was going to be in labor or not. But our doctor said, go ahead and go to the hospital. And so we, we stopped at a Chipotle on the way. And, and then in line at the Chipotle, all of a sudden, terrible pain. She couldn't even eat her burrito bowl. I, I did make the sacrifice and eat hers as well while she was giving birth to one of my kids. But, but suddenly, inescapably, inescapably, it was unexpected. Paul is saying that when Jesus Christ returns to bring his holy wrath on the wicked, it will be secret. It will surprise those who are walking in darkness. It will come on them suddenly and fiercely, and there will be no escape. On the day of the Lord, Christ, who is king, is returning to destroy his enemies. Not in an annihilation, but in a judgment that begins and continues forever and ever without end. Christ returns to pour out justice on all who hate him. Interestingly enough, this is what Christmas is about. When Jesus Christ comes as a man at Christmas, it is the beginning of God establishing his kingdom on earth. When the light of the world takes up residence in the womb of a virgin girl, 
It is the beginning of Christ's assault on all the darkness. It is the beginning of the Lord reasserting the proper ordering of all things. Jesus comes to oppose the rulers and powers of this world. Christmas is a declaration of war. When God the Son took on flesh and became a man, it was ultimately so he could restore his supreme rule over all things. The advent of Jesus was the arrival of the king to whom we all owe allegiance. And when Jesus shows up, he calls all who will hear to repent and believe, to pledge allegiance to him. And to all who obey his command to turn from idols and worship him, he gives salvation. That's why he's named Jesus after all. Matthew tells us he will save his people from their sins. But how Jesus brings the salvation to his people is the scandalous part, is it not? Instead of bringing sudden destruction onto all the men of the first century... Jesus died in the place of whosoever will believe in him. Jesus came at Christmas so that he might go to the cross at Passover. His initial invasion of the world was to dawn on the darkness and to save his people. Enemies whom he would make his friends. And when he returns on the day of the Lord... It will be to destroy all those who remain opposed to his rule. He will come to destroy all those who are still bearing up arms against him. All those who are still saying, you do not rule my life, I rule my life. I make my own meaning. I decide right and wrong for myself. Those are the ones that Jesus Christ will destroy. Non-Christian, the day of the Lord is coming, and you are clueless. You are as one who is asleep or drunk when the thief comes to steal. It will take you by surprise. You are not ready for the wrath to come. You are like the men who lived in Noah's day. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Noah in the ark. There is wickedness throughout the earth. The Bible says every intention of man's heart was evil. The earth was filled with violence. And so God decides to bring judgment. He will end all those opposed to him. He will end humanity, save for one man and his family. God has favor on Noah. He gives grace to Noah and calls Noah in response to that grace to act in faith and build an ark so that he might escape the waters of judgment. We don't have to think too hard about what this would have been like. You can imagine Noah out there with his hammer and nails and his drill. <laughs> putting his thing together day after day, 
dunk, dunk, and people, people walking by. No, what are you doing? Well, you see, God told me that he is going to judge the world. There's going to be a great flood. And all who do not trust in him and his promises, all who are not on this boat are going to drown. Well, Noah, that's, um, that's an interesting idea. Imagine, he goes back to his, the rest of the people, wherever they hang out at the time, maybe they're at Starbucks. Can you believe Noah? He thinks the world is going to flood and that we're all going to die. Doesn't he know we have peace and security? That's, that's crazy. I'm worried about him, actually. Maybe we should have some kind of intervention. Get him some therapy. Day after day, Noah builds. Everyone else thinks peace and peace. The flood comes. The windows of heaven are opened. And the results are horrific. Kids, if you're here, I'm going to tell you the, the unedited version of Noah's Ark. If you're a kid and you're here, just listen up. Here's the, 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 the biblical account. The animals may have been smiling, I don't know. But when God floods the earth, he is demonstrating his hatred of sin and his willingness to punish sinners appropriately. It was not a sentimental happy affair. It was awful. The clouds were dark. Rain fell down and soaked people to their bones. Men, women, and children, we can see climbing trees, climbing hills, but there's no escape. Some tread water for some time until eventually exhaustion takes them. And soon, nothing but bodies floating atop the water. Death. It's the meaning of the story. The wages of sin is death. And the only escape from death is to trust in God's promises. My dear friend, if you have not turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, you will not escape the flood of God's holy judgment. And it will last far beyond 40 days and 40 nights. If you are not in Christ... And that includes you, kids. You should fear. Christ will come suddenly. You should tremble with fear, non-Christian. You should repent of your sins and follow Jesus. Don't ignore this warning. Don't go on Business as usual, thinking that tomorrow will be just like today. Don't go on uh, living for the weekend, 
living for this event and that event. Don't go on thinking, well, really, I'm a good person, so I'll be all right. No, everyone who is not in obedience to the Lord Jesus, everyone who does not have faith in the Lord Jesus will find themselves at the end of the righteous sword of Jesus. It will come on you suddenly, and there will be no escape. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord is good motivation for faith. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to believe, if you want to be free of that fear, that's the Spirit's work in you. Follow through. Ask God to save you. Talk, talk with someone here about what it means to join the church and to follow Jesus. Only His blood can save you from the wrath of God. The day the Lord will come secretly. It will be a surprise. It will come suddenly and certainly. It's good reason for non-Christians to repent and it's a good reason for we who know Christ to rejoice and take comfort. We Christians need not fear the day of the Lord because we have taken refuge in the ark that is Christ. There is no wrath left for us. Quick side note here. This ark imagery, Jesus is the ark that we take refuge in who saves us from the wrath of God was so prominent in church history that churches used to actually line their ceilings with exposed wood so that when the congregants looked up, it would be as if they were inside of the ark. A reminder that they are safe in Christ, that they are those who have inherited the promises of God and of salvation. Indeed, that's what Paul wants us to know, that we who have trusted Christ are safe, that the day of the Lord will bring justice that we can rejoice in because we have been changed. We have been changed from darkness to light. Look at verse 4. They will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So he says, you're not in darkness. You know the day's coming. You don't know when it's coming. It's a secret. But it shouldn't surprise you because you know it's coming. So if we want to pick up that pregnant lady imagery again, sort of like uh, when we get ready to have a baby, Chelsea goes through this nesting phase. You know, there's blankets in the room. The crib has to be here. And then you have to move the crib two or three more times to figure out just exactly where it goes. Things are hung from the ceiling. Pictures are hanged. You get diapers and wipes and all those things that come to you at a baby shower. You get ready. You don't know when baby's coming. It's going to be coming suddenly and certainly, but you prepare. This is what Paul's saying. You know it's coming. You don't know when, but you are going to be prepared. It's not going to surprise you because we are not of the night or of the darkness. For you, verse 5, are all children of light literally sons, showing our status, sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of the night or of 
the darkness. We are those who are preparing for Christ's return. We're like the five wise virgins who take enough oil as they wait through the night for the coming of the bridegroom. And and we are confidently waiting fundamentally because of our designation as light. Because of our adoption into the family of God. Because God saved us out of death and into life. Paul uses the same metaphor in Ephesians 5 verse 8. He says, once you were darkness. Notice that, not in darkness. Once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. So you once were darkness, now you are light. When you were, when you were darkness, you walked in darkness. Now you are in light, so you need to walk as light. This is the same idea as here. He's saying, you have been fundamentally changed. Your status is different now. You used to belong to the devil. You used to belong to the darkness. Now you belong to God and to the light. It made me think oddly, and this might not be helpful, it made me think of the character Bane in The Dark Knight Rises for you Batman fans. There's this wonderful I don't know if it's wonderful, but there's a fight scene, and this is what Bane says, and you know what? my Bane voice isn't great, you'll have to bear with me here. He says, he says, you merely adopted the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. I didn't see the light until I was already a man, and by then, it was nothing to me but blinding. I think everyone is born like Bane into the dark. We're molded by it, and we hate the light unless God in his mercy enlightens the eyes of our hearts and causes us to be born again as light. It is only when God gives the light of salvation that the darkness is overcome. It is only when in the heart of every believer Christ says, let there be light, that we are changed. Indeed, the prophecy of Isaiah is true. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Church, we can be comforted by the day of the Lord because we belong to the day We belong to the light. It is what molds us and shapes us now. And so we wait for the day of the Lord with hope. Knowing that Christ will defeat all of his enemies. Knowing that Christ will end evil. And knowing that he will deliver us because we are his children. And because we are his children... We can take comfort that he has given us that which we need to stand and fight against the darkness. This is our third word, dress, dress. Look with me at verse 6. 
So then, this is because you are children of the light, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul picks up this metaphor of sleep again. Remember, it was talking about death in chapter 4. And he's going to use it again to talk about death here in a couple verses. But right here, it refers to a spiritual death, a spiritual laziness. What Paul's saying is, because believers are spiritually alive and awake and in the light, they ought not sleep, they ought not act like those who belong to the darkness. Really is interesting. It's a small phrase. It says, let us not sleep as others do. And it, it sounds familiar when you're reading the passage altogether. But go back to verse 13 of chapter 4 and, and listen. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, so that you may not grieve, here's our phrase, as others do, and now we have a qualification who those others are, as others do who have no hope. Those without hope walk in a delusion. They are asleep. They belong to the night. They have no way of preparing for a thief. But we who are in the light are called to be sober, that is, self-controlled, in control of our faculties, so that we might make proper preparation for the Lord's return. But believers are to outfit ourselves in the armor of light. We're to dress ourselves with faith, love, and hope. Remember Paul, again, in verse 3 of chapter 1, he talks about faith, love, and hope. We just move from one to the other. Ultimately, it means we are to put on Christian virtue and walk in faithfulness to God, walk in a manner worthy of God. We are to live to please God as we wait for the return of Christ. We are to stay ready for Christ's return and live lives of steady holiness. And so he asks, what does this look like? What does sober waiting look like? Sober waiting looks like working. Looks like working faithfully. Looks like turning from idols to the living God. It looks like serving one another in the church. It looks like living in light of Christ's glorious return. It looks like a commitment to build godly families, good churches, and godly institutions. It looks like fighting to bring the light into a dark world. We do this in every area of our lives. We choose to fight the darkness or to allow the darkness to prevail. All of us are called to our vocations. Whatever job you have, you have because Christ has called you there and has put you there and you are to honor him there. Whether you are a banker 
or a doctor or a teacher or a student or a construction worker or an electrician or a mother, you are to work to the glory of God. Kids, your calling right now is to be obedient to your mommy and daddy, to learn to love the standards they have set for you and to keep them. Children, did you know that when you obey your mommy and daddy, you are shining as light in the world? You are fighting darkness. Mothers, your homes are little cities on a hill. Wait on Christ faithfully by working to fan those little flames into full light. Teach your children the word of God. Fathers, be a light in your family. Don't just say that Christ is king. Live as if Christ really is king. Lead your family with Christ at the head of it. Make the Lord's Day the top priority for your family because the worship of Jesus is more important than everything else. Wait on Christ training your family to fight side by side with all the saints. Church, we fight the darkness with everyday faithfulness, everyday obedience to the Lord by simply loving one another, doing good work. FBC, we are light and we must live like it must work as we wait, building godly families, godly churches, and godly institutions. I had the privilege this week of giving a devotion at Bible Play School. I had a little Christmas program, and I was told my devotion was a little long, if you wanted to know. Uh, Sarah Prox was nice enough to say, hey, it was really long. That's okay, Tabitha said it was fine. It was fine. But... One of the things that struck me is just how wonderful a thing it is that we have Bible Play School. It was a good example of a Christian institution that our church has put in our community to shine as a light. It's good to pursue projects like this. It's good to, to pray for and support Bible Play School and things like it. That sort of project helps us to be light in the dark. We want to be a bunch of Noahs in our community. Day after day, laying board after board. <laughs> working. By God's grace, to be light in the darkness. We want to live like Noah building in light of the coming day of the Lord. And yet we also should take a second lesson from Noah and stay sober and vigilant. One of the most interesting things in the story of Noah for me is that Noah's great trial, the great drama in his life, he gets through that no problem. And yet when things get ordinary, and regular, and humdrum, 
lets his guard down. He gets passed out drunk, naked. Passed out naked, drunk. To his shame. Friends, there is a reason we must stay dressed for action. The second we let our guard down, the enemy strikes. The moment you take off the breastplate of faith and love, arrows are loosed at your heart. Do not get comfortable. Why does it get so comfortable in your Christianity that you forget you're at war? Don't forget. Stay ready. And don't forget that we win. Don't forget that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We are able to stay dressed for action and fight against the darkness knowing victory is certain. Knowing what our destiny is. It's the fourth reason for us to be comforted by the day of the Lord. Look at verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. We live hopefully in light of the day of the Lord because we have not been destined for wrath, but for salvation. Why? Why are Christians destined for salvation? Because God has chosen us, because God has loved us, because God has given his word to us, because God has given us his Holy Spirit. That's how Paul opened the letter comforting the Thessalonians. Remember? Verse 4, chapter 1. We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. All who repent and believe do so because of God's election, not because of their own intelligence or worthiness. Salvation is the work of God, not any man, lest any man should boast. You can take no credit. It's as if you woke up in the back of an ambulance with all that apparatus on your face. And the medic said to you, I saved you. You were flatlined and dead. And you said, actually, I've been hitting the gym recently, so my heart's pretty strong. I deserve at least some of the credit. No, you get no credit when it comes to your salvation. You were not drowning in the ocean. You were dead at the bottom of the ocean. And God came with his mighty outstretched arm, picked you up, put you on the shore, and breathed life into your lungs. He said, these wet bones are like the dry bones, and they can have life by my word and by my will because of my love and because of my choosing. God chooses his people, promises salvation to his people, purchases his people, and he has destined his people for salvation, for glory, not for wrath. That is our great comfort, church. Because if we could, we could gain our salvation ourselves, 
then we could lose it. And if you could lose your salvation, you would. God has saved us, is saving us, and will save us. He will get us safely home to glory. He has destined us not for wrath, but for salvation. This means that when you are suffering and sorrow takes you by the throat, you can be joyful because you know that your suffering will be swallowed up by glory. We can walk through fire because we know we are bound for the promised land. Think of it like this. Imagine that for whatever reason, Elon Musk decided he was going to give you his fortune. And so he, he called up First National Bank down here. He said, I'm going to put all my money here uh, for this individual. You, know, you just put your name in. All they have to do to finish the transaction is show up at the bank and sign the paper. And so you get a call from Mr. Musk. He says, you know, Clark, I'm giving you all my money. It's at First National. All you got to do is sign. You jump into your car. You start driving there, and then all of a sudden, flat tire. No, you know what you're not going to do? Get out next to your car. I can't believe this. This is the worst day of my life. Nothing ever happens to me that's good. How can I make it? This is awful. No. You're going to have a wide smile across your face. You'll take care of it one way or another. But you're not going to worry about it because you are bound for the bank where an unimaginable inheritance is waiting for you. Brothers and sisters, this is our situation. We are destined for an inheritance that will far outweigh all of the trials and sorrows in our lives. Yes, we will have some flat tires and worse but we are destined for salvation. We are destined for glory. And so we can live in light of that end. We can live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming. And so we can keep fighting the darkness. We can keep being joyful amidst sorrow. Because we know that Christ is returning to bring joy to the world. To all those who are his. So, so take heart. Wait with hope. Be comforted. Build one another up. That's what Paul says. This is his big crescendo. Verse 11. Therefore comfort. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Just as you are doing. It says we, whether we are dead or alive. We will live with Christ. Comfort one another. Friends, this is why Jesus came. Christmas happened so that God could dwell eternally with his people. God the Son became what he was not while never ceasing to be what he was. The incarnation is a miracle of addition. He takes onto himself a human nature, comes and, and dwells among us. Jesus became one of us so he might live with us, so he might die for us, so that he might raise us up from the dead to live with him eternally. 
And this is the good news that brings great joy. Brothers and sisters, Christmas is about conquest. The light has come. The darkness is in retreat. God is dwelling among his people. The king is coming soon. Let us therefore wait with the sword of the Spirit in our hands, the breastplate of faith and love over our hearts, and the helmet of the hope of salvation upon our heads. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have saved us. We thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ and that he loved us and gave himself for us. He loved us and gave himself for us so that we might be born again. He loved us and gave himself for us so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He loved us and gave himself for us so that we might walk in the newness of life. He loved us and gave himself for us so that we need not fear death. He loved us and gave himself for us so that we might move from death to life. He loved us and gave himself for us so that we might cease being darkness, but be made light in the world. He loved us and gave himself for us so that we might live forever together with him and with one another. Oh God, we give you praise. You have loved us in Christ. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.